Hello and welcome to the Honest Property Investment Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the host of this podcast. Plus, I'm the founder of NC Real Estate, which is my firm of surveyors. It specializes in helping and supporting landlords and property investors build commercial and mixed use property portfolios that completely align with their goals. This week, we have a great episode coming up for you. We have a day in the life of a surveyor with Jack Vini, who is a maintenance surveyor. And then I've got a fabulous interview with Nishita Goodkur talking all about legal packs. But first, always a little introductory snippet from me. I actually wanted to come with you to you this week with an update of what I have been working on. So about a month or two ago, I was exploring the market and seeing what was going on in the commercial space because I had noticed that there are a high number of properties coming on the market for those lower capitalization rates of around about 45 to 6%. And there were those properties coming on the market that have the higher capitalization rates of you know, 12 to 15%, maybe 10% and above. And then there were certain properties that were really just being left, but that I could see really had quite a lot of potential, if not for today, for the next five years. And the more I thought about it, and the more I saw that my clients didn't necessarily want it, other people's clients didn't necessarily want it, and I was offering these properties out, I thought, well, I would actually buy these. This is something that I would buy myself. And usually I tend to put off investing until something just walks across where I am, mainly because I spend all of my days working for my clients. And there could be seen to be a conflict of interest there if I don't give them properties that I'm looking at. But in this instance, these are properties that none of my clients would take, which was madness. So I thought, okay, at the moment, I'm asset rich, cash poor, right? That is my status right now. And so I thought I'll start from the bottom. What would I advise my clients to do in this situation? Well, I advise my clients to write out a mission statement. And I thought, okay, my mission statement based upon what I'm seeing in the market, Okay, my mission statement is to build a commercial property portfolio of properties which are have a current capitalization rate or net initial yield of between 9 to 11%. They are small tiddlers, tiny properties of below around £200,000, but they have that on top. And they have a lease left to run of in excess of three to five years and they're only let to one tenant right the reason that these aren't getting picked up is mainly because of the vat element a lot of people are avoiding the vat aspect because it costs a lot of money to run a vat company in additional fees and it really only applies to the commercial side of things obviously if you've got a mixed-use property it applies there but you can't charge that on residential rent so it doesn't work with everything and nine percent isn't amazingly exciting 
And then I have a target of secondary cities. So I'm avoiding London, Bristol, Manchester, Birmingham. I'm targeting smaller cities which have um, been granted any of the high street relief fund. That's what I'm looking at at the moment. So I started asking around people, my contacts within the industry, people that I can speak to about anything. You know, even the expert needs experts around her and I do have experts around me. You hear this podcast, right? There are people on this podcast that I go to day in, day out. If I have problems or I have issues I want to work through, and I started off by saying to one of my friends, I have a lot of assets and my property portfolio at the moment is about a 55% loan to value, but I'm not coming up to a point at the moment where I can remortgage. And he said to me, Natasha, that's all right. Don't worry, I've got the lender for you. So he introduced me to a broker who has access to um, an equity funding pot so basically they take a second or equitable charge over however many properties you want in your limited in your own name up to a x amount of value and you can borrow that based upon kind of an overdraft arrangement so the pot gets put in place but you don't pay any interest if you don't borrow something for example it's not designed to be long-term funding right this is designed for really short-term funding until you can get cheaper funding elsewhere which is absolutely fine I only need this for a a short period of time so I just started working on that thinking "Hmm, all right let me try it not on all of my properties I'll do it on half the portfolio and just see what I can get anyway I have been given a facility of a hundred thousand pounds and I can then use that hundred thousand pounds to invest into my new limited company, which is what I'm setting up to hold the commercial properties. Amazing. I hadn't even thought about that being possible, mainly because I just have not had the time to look into it this year. So I've got that in place. And then I thought, okay, let's go out to market. Let's see what is possible. And that's what I did. I went out to market, saw what had come on to the market that my clients wouldn't go after, they wouldn't touch it. And I found one property that I'm currently under offer on subject to survey that needs a building survey and it's quite exciting. So I thought I'd let you into the start of this journey that I'm about to go on. This is what I'm working on right now. So to summarize, I have £100,000 in money that I can use to fund this portfolio. I'm opening up a new limited company that's VAT registered, that's gonna hold these properties and I'm going to start targeting them. Now, I'm not going to give you the addresses of these properties until after they've exchanged, obviously, because otherwise people might jump in there on top. But what I'm going to do is I'm gonna start giving you smaller updates on, on what I'm doing and what I'm considering. Um, and how I've gone about doing it. Next week, I'll give you a more of an update on the viewing and how the viewing went, how I organised the viewing, because obviously I'm not in the country, but I still like to get people to go out on viewings and my decisions on building surveys and how we've organised that. That's all in the pipeline 
this week, but I thought I'd tell you where I'm starting so that you can follow my journey as I go about building this property portfolio. As usual, my mind works faster than the property market. So not every week there's gonna be updates because guess what? Not every week things move that quickly. But some weeks there will be and other weeks I'll tell you about other things. But I did get asked if I could share when I'm buying deals. So that is the introductory uh, introduction to what I'm doing right now. I will give you the updates as we go along. If you have questions on that, please email me, natasha at ncrealestate.co.uk or you can reach me on Instagram at Honest Property Investment. Start the conversation. What do you want to know about this? Right, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll be back with the Dan and Life as Surveyor afterwards. Lionheart is the RICS's own benevolent fund, a charity that supports members of the RICS and their partners. They were established in 1899, so they have over 120 years of experience of supporting the surveying profession. Lionheart is separate from the RICS and a totally independent organisation and registered charity. They help RICS professionals, the life partner of chartered surveyors, as well as APC candidates, and have also recently expanded their support to surveying apprentices and students. Now, you're probably wondering, how can they help? Well, they provide training in the form of free workshops and webinars, and they operate a helpline through which you can access different types of support. They have over 30 workshops and webinars and a range from financial, well-being, career and personal development, APC and post-APC webinars. The helpline service is bespoke to each person who calls as they try to offer a sort of package or service that suits your needs. Some of the services and support that we offer are professional counselling, coaching for a particular issue or challenge, legal advice, help returning to work or developing career after a period of not working, financial grants and general support. All of their services are free and to find out more, please visit their website www.lionheart.org.uk. This week's Day in the Life of a Surveyor is Jack Veeney. He's a maintenance surveyor. He talks about how he started off as an apprentice. His job role from when he was an apprentice has just come up, so I'm going to put a link to that underneath. Take it away, Jack. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. My name's Jack Feeney and I'm currently one of the plan maintenance surveyors at Crawley Homes at Crawley Borough Council. I left school at 16 and undertook a welding and fabricating apprenticeship. Although at points I was on the lowest wage possible, the skills it taught me in being able to measure, understand drawings and relay that information have been essential life skills for my role today and helped me to first achieve the apprenticeship at the council when I was 18. Upon joining the repairs team, I've begun with minor post inspections of work and soon on to inspections of properties for defects and the specification of works to void properties. I've since progressed into a role with the plan maintenance team. Responsible for 8,500 properties, my day-to-day duties can vary a lot. This may include running the external wall insulation program on 1970s timber frame properties, where we reduce the wall U values from 1.3 to 0.22. 
My involvement in this program includes occasionally redesigning the drawings, submitting building control applications, arranging party war awards, and overseeing the works to provide on-site solutions to problems that arise. I am also currently acting as the client for Crawley Homes for any new build developments. Some of these sites are at various stages, so my duties range from assessing tenders by architects and contractors, discussing designs with architects, consulting on-site with contractors to resolve issues, dealing with handovers and undertaking property inspections at the end of defects period. One recent example of this is disputing with a large developer on the defects that have arisen on a new build development. I've done this by having bricks removed and inspecting the cavity to expose faults around the cavity closer that have caused damp internally on the window reveals. This has been an ongoing dispute that has allowed me to use my surveying knowledge to provide a resolution between contractor and client. On our existing housing stock, should a property or block of flats require work that exceeds the repairs surveyor's remit, then I will work with our principal contractor to specify and acquire quotes for the work. If the cost of the work exceeds our section 20 limit per flat, then I will liaise with the leasehold department to notify any leaseholders of their proportion of costs. I also work closely with the disabled adaptations team and occupational therapists at producing designs for ramped and step access into properties and also the occasional extension. Since starting my apprenticeship at the council eight years ago and having now about to finish my final year of university, I've been glad to have su had such a variety in my work as I've been able to apply my knowledge to both educational and practical situations. I'm grateful to the council for giving me that opportunity all those years ago and has given me the skills to branch off into other surveying specialisms if I wanted to. Thank you. So, due to popular demand from you all emailing me, telling me that, what you want to hear on this season of the podcast, today I have invited my solicitor and good friend, Nishita Gukka, back onto the podcast. Hi, Nishita. Hi, Natasha. Nice to um, be here. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. So today, by popular demand, we're talking about legal packs. <laughs> One one of my favourite and also most hated topics. So it'll it hopefully it'll be educational for everybody. <laughs> so there's been a lot of complete confusion about what my audience should be looking out for in legal packs. How do you even start with them? When should you be looking through them? What should your solicitor be doing? All of this information. And so I thought I'd bring you back to ask you all of these questions. When would a buyer, so an investor, have to look at a legal pack? There's no requirement that you have to look at a legal pack. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't look at a legal pack. Okay. So at the, I would recommend you looking at your legal pack at the very earliest opportunity that you have. Because the more time that you have before the auction, the more time you can have to digest that information and the the more informed decision you will be making whilst you bid for your property. Mm -hmm. And so to be clear, you wouldn't get a legal plaque if you're just buying on the open market. This is solely auction property. What's the difference? So with an auction property, the way in which this transaction proceeds is different. And that's key. 
So with an auction, the moment that the auctioneer's hammer goes down and your bid has been accepted, that is a binding contract. And you are buying that property subject to everything that is in the legal pack and any information that you should have known. When you're buying property on the open market or by private treaty, as it's referred to in legal terms, actually you have the period before exchange of contracts where your solicitor will be raising all the inquiries, you'll be doing investigations, you'll be carrying out your own surveys of the property, and you won't enter into the contract, you won't exchange contracts until your solicitor tells you they're absolutely satisfied with the property. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so could an investor or purchaser review the legal packs themselves before auction? Absolutely, you can. Um, I would always recommend that you ask your solicitor to review them because there are things within the legal pack that you do need some technical legal knowledge to understand. You would, as a as a layperson, um, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, um, you would pick up certain things about the property and I would always recommend that you yourselves read the legal pack and really understand what you're buying um, but absolutely there are certain key things that you could look at as a kind of a first sift exercise before you give your solicitor you know legal packs because I do understand there's always a cost element attached to things and you if you are interested in 10 properties you may not want your solicitor to review 10 legal packs yeah because costs spiral pretty quickly um, they do so what can we expect to see in a legal pack? So in reality, the only information that the seller is required to give you is the title to the property. So the title register and the plan and details of any tenancies the property is subject to. That's it. Um, they'll also give you any special conditions um, which are attached. So the sale will be subject to the common auction conditions and then the seller can add any special conditions that they want. So that's the bare minimum you would expect into a, in a legal pack. However, most sellers will provide more information. They will normally provide searches. They will provide details of the tenancies. They will provide gas safety, electrical safety certificates. Um, so they will try generally to provide as much information as much information as they can because the more information that the seller provides and this is a useful tip for people who are selling properties at auction the more information you can provide the more appealing your property is because people are buying it in fuller knowledge and they're making a better decision on the price that they're willing to pay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what what can you do okay first of all what information is usually left out in your experience so I think the thing to remember is, you know, you're buying property and that legal maxim, caveat emptor, buyer beware, holds very true with auctions. So the information that is provided is normally to the benefit of the seller. So the seller is trying to make their property as appealing as possible to you, the buyer. Things like arrears of rent may not necessarily be disclosed. The state and condition of the property itself may not be disclosed. So then you might be buying a property which then is subject to tens of thousands of pounds worth of work. Um, planning may not be um, 
disclose if there's planning applications in neighbouring properties, if the neighbouring property is about to be knocked down in a four storey flat, which is going to take a year to build, that that may not be disclosed. So it is um, up to the seller to put that information. It's up to the seller to put that information in the legal pack, but they're not obliged to. Okay. And can you ask the seller that beforehand? You can you can ask the seller questions beforehand. They're not obliged to respond. Um, they will, in some cases, and I know where we have acted for sellers on sales of property at auction, unless it's a very uh, specific question that we have missed out information on. Our general practice is to say refer is to refer people back to the auction pack. The other thing that sellers can do, which is sneaky, but it does happen, is that they will put information in at the very last minute into the auction pack as an addendum. So that is also something to watch out for. If it's something that they really don't want to let you know, but they do need to let you know, they may just sneak that in as an addendum. And how how late in the day can they update that legal pack? Almost to the last minute. So depending on the auctioneer's um, position, it can be a very late update. I mean, we when we were doing paper auction packs, you had to, I think, give about 24 hours to the auctioneer. Okay. And you'd walk into the auction room and there were folders and folders and folders of the legal packs, which may have been updated since they were published online. So it, it, it's, it is a slightly frightening prospect but actually if you are you know for forewarned is forearmed I think when it comes to auctions so as much information as you can get you know you'll be in a much better place when you actually go to the auction and start your bidding and when you get your solicitor to look through your auction pack would you as a solicitor say well we're missing x y and z should we do a bit more digging yes absolutely if there are holes if we can see gaps it's our job to to highlight these gaps to you and it's our job then to raise inquiries with the other side to see if they will provide us that information it's okay. telling if they're not willing to provide it and that does suggest perhaps that they don't want to provide the information and there's a reason why they don't want to provide it mm-hmm. so even even a, even a negative response can be helpful okay what happens if you find that there's arrears in the current tenants? So arrears are a really sticky position situation when it comes to auctions. The common auction conditions basically make the buyer liable for any arrears in the last period of um, payment, whether or not they've been disclosed. So if there's a quarter's rent in arrears then on completion you have to pay that quarter to the buyer to the seller apologies um when it comes to historic arrears which are you know over that initial period you've got an obligation to recover them in the normal course of your business as the buyer and then pay those arrears back to the seller but then the common auction conditions also attach all sorts of um 
issues when it comes to arrears about what you can and can't do with the property. So normally, as a landlord, if your tenant is in arrears, you have a load, a lot of options available to you. You can start forfeiture proceedings, you can surrender, you can have agree rent concessions. When it comes to auction properties, your rights are curtailed um, by those common auction conditions. Um, and you do need to then get consent in certain circumstances from the seller before you can do things to your property. So tenanted properties are a minefield. Um, you can get a great deal, but it's very difficult to, to to know where you stand unless the seller has expressly provided in the auction pack the situation as far as arrears are concerned. So what happens if you buy a property, there's arrears, and you decide to then sell on that property? How does that pass down? So you have an obligation to ensure that your buyer enters into the similar similar obligations that you've had when you bought the property at auction. So you you could have a, I don't want to say blighted property, because that's, that's quite an extreme use of uh, the word blighted when it comes to property. It has certain meanings, but it can make your property much less appealing and you could also have issues when it comes to borrowing so if you're buying in cash at an auction with the intention of a refinance or future you know borrowing or even you need a bridging to complete the property transaction arrears could have a huge impact on your your borrowing and the valuation that's made by the lender on your property Oh. And how is it a side agreement? How is that attached? I'm now going into the specifics. How is that <laughs> attached to the title deeds? How does it, where does that appear? So that's it's a contractual relationship. Okay. Um, it's a contractual relationship. I would I would suspect that that at some point sellers will just get bored and disappear after a certain amount of time. And and you've also got limitation periods about recovery of arrears and on all sorts but you're looking you know quite a long way down the line I suspect Ooh. but you know hope is not last if you 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 can ask the direct question to the seller beforehand about whether there's any arrears if you see that the property is tenanted um you can try and negotiate with the seller after you've your bid has been accepted and come to an agreement about how you're going to deal with the arrears um but it is it is it is a difficult position to mm-hmm, deal with mm-hmm. when it comes to arrears on an auction property and so i guess then ideally a good solution would be to look at how much if you have got the amount of the arrears to make sure that you're not bidding up any higher than kind of market value less arrears so that you can just pay them for absolutely the yeah, arrears absolutely. and get rid of them Exactly. Factor in the arrears into your bidding, into the amount that you're willing to pay. Is there any other costs that buyers should be aware of? So what we would often, what we often do, and what most people do when they're acting for a seller on an auction, is in the special conditions, we put in a provision about paying the seller's costs, surveying costs and legal costs. So that's something to be aware of. And those costs, in some cases, can be quite high. 
Mm-hmm. And you will have to pay those because they're a condition of the sale, whether you like it or not. Other things to be aware of is VAT if you're buying commercial property and checking whether or not the property is elected for VAT. So you may have to pay VAT on top of what your purchase price is. So that's something else to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And you can do that as a transfer of going concern right, but there has to be special provisions in place you can do that as a transfer of a going concern and, and you have to be VAT registered and elect the property to for VAT and and it, it potentially could save you 20% especially if you're buying a property that's subject to 10 fees because that could be a transfer of a going concern and you then also have to consider if you're looking at a transfer of a going concern and um, if there are any employment issues that attach to your purchase and any 2p issues so it is, it is something to be aware of because you don't want to be caught off guard by somebody who says, well, actually, I'm employed to keep to manage the property specifically for this property. And you've just taken over the business of running this building with all of its tenants. And now you have to employ me. Ooh. And again, would you find that out in the auction pack that I have to tell you? Well, you, you know, they, they should. Be disclosing if if it is a transfer of a going concern, they should be giving you more information about it in the auction pack. But it, it's down to you reading the auction pack and also being alive and aware that these may be potential issues. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you go to auction, you bid, you're the successful bidder. All of a sudden, you've decided <gasps> I missed something. What happens? You can try and get some more information out of the seller. You can try and reduce the price post auction but most sellers I suspect will not give you the time of day but some of them may you can try insurance indemnity insurance which may be useful in certain circumstances or you can walk away and lose your deposit do you see many people walking away and losing their deposit no it depends on on how big an issue has been missed but for most people a 10% deposit is a significant amount of money to walk away from Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's far cheaper to sort it out it is far cheaper to sort it out but then you know we we go back to, to what we were talking about right at the beginning it is cheaper to get your solicitor to review the auction pack before you bid on the property than to try and ask them to sort out an issue after the event Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, how long does a solicitor need to review an auction pack? I know that's the. How, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, really, it depends on how much information and how complicated it is. Um, if it's you know subject to multi tenants, you want to read each of the leases to make sure you understand what the leases are and what your obligations are going to be. Hopefully, if it's quite a simple title, it shouldn't take too long then you need to review all of the searches. So you're, you're looking at, at, you know, a couple of days work for a complicated auction pack and a few hours for a simple auction pack. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what have I missed so far? What have, what have we not told people about? Because I... So the, 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 I think what we haven't discussed is how old the information is in the searches. is something that a lot of people miss. Um, because they say, well, they've provided me with all the searches. 
and you look at the searches and they were done a year ago or two years ago. And for some of the searches, it may not be such an issue for a drainage and water search, although if you're if you're going to borrow money, the lender will want a much more up-to-date search. But for example, with a local authority search, an out-of-date search is, is no use to you really, because it won't tell you about any inf current enforcement, any current planning that's the property subject to, any current land, new land charges. So it's, a, it's useful to get an idea of what is affecting the property, but it won't give you up-to-date information. So, so that's something to be aware of, is, is how mm -hmm. old your searches are. And, and the other thing is replies to inquiries and what information the seller is giving you in replies to inquiries and what reliance you can place on them. So they could be quite sneaky and say, we're giving, going to give you all of this information, but you can't actually place any reliance on them whatsoever. Um, and that you have to look into the special conditions and see what the special conditions say. Okay. And then you get these CPSEs that say, not so far as the seller is aware across the board. Exactly. So it, it does, it does, it's all useful and gives you an opportunity to paint a picture of the property. And I appreciate we're in a slightly mad market at the moment where prices are not normal. And usually in an auction, you would be getting a property at a reduced rate, you know, lower than what, than what you would be buying it on the open market because you're taking an element of risk. Mm -hmm. And the the buyer want the sorry the seller wants a quick sale. They just want to to sell the property. They know that it will be at a lower price than if they put it on the open market. But at the moment, and, and you'd be able to tell me more, Natasha, is is whether auctions actually whether they reflect that risk at the moment. Depends on who's at the auction, and that's going to sound mad, but you can sometimes get really good quality properties that were just left alone and in which case pick them up afterwards when no one's been there and bidding it up so a lot of the time especially on the residential auctions I can't yeah. understand how people are just bidding and bidding and bidding and bidding and bidding and I think I wouldn't pay that no and I think that that you have to be really clear in your mind how much that property's worth you know go get Go round, if you have a good trusted surveyor, go round the property. They will always have a viewing day for properties. Mm -hmm. Go and look at the property. You know, does it make sense? Do you, do your, does the plan match what's on the auction pack? You know, are they, they're telling you there's no tenants, but you can clearly see that the property is occupied by three different people because there's locks on the door. Does it need an HMO licence? You know, there are... There are clues when you go and look at a property. So I would really advise that you go with your with your eyes wide open when you go and, and view a property and then note all the issues and then give those to your solicitor and say, these are all the things I think are an issue. Does the auction pack actually tally with what I physically see? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, and that's true, not even when, when when you're buying any property, to be honest, not even at auction. I think people forget how much information that they can get just by opening their eyes and having a really good, really good look. I mean, I think people probably put do more research into buying a TV sometimes than they do into buying property. And it's also knowing to spot things 
or ask the questions about again it's this reading between the lines thing that we're always talking yeah. about if you've got commercial lease for example license to alter schedule of condition any limits on your liability as a landlord that's that for me is one of the big concerns or if there's a lease and there's previous leases and the lease refers to a previous lease and I'm like oh gosh there's a lease packet yeah, around you, somewhere exactly it does this lease refers to a previous lease and is there a copy of your previous lease with the lease that you're currently dealing with if you've got com a commercial element has it got security of 10 years do you understand what that means how long is left to run on that commercial lease have the rent reviews been done so this is all this is all information that could be provided in a legal pack and in my view should be provided in a legal pack, mm -hmm. but it's always. And then do you, so for example, if you have a, a mixed use building and you've got this commercial unit that's referring to previous leases, do they have to give you that then between exchange and completion? Or they still don't if they've lost it? So they do need to give you the title to the property and, and title does include the tenancies and the leases that are affecting it. Sometimes they may well have lost the the previous lease, and in which case you 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 have to look at how you can mitigate that situation. Um, it's not always possible, but you know you, that you could get you could potentially get indemnity insurance for these things for defective title. There are options available, but it's not ideal. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Yeah. Uh, that scares me if I don't know where the leases are referring I... well you know, as, as you know and I know that 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 lease is that contractual relationship between you and your tenant or if you're actually buying a leasehold property which may be the case between you and your landlord and if you don't know what your contractual obligations are either way how are you going to enforce them or how are you going to comply with them and how do you know that they've been complied with you know what? No idea. And then you're just kind of swinging, hopefully, that you're going to hit something when you yeah. or that the tenant's not going to notice. And that's a terrible way of having a landlord tenant relationship. And, and I've also seen some terrible, terribly drafted leases in, in legal packs, which make absolutely no sense. And, and they've just, you, you see them and you can see that they've just been put in because the property's about to go into auction and they want to have a tenancy in place. And in a way, it would have been better not to do it because at least you could then deal with the property with the sitting, you know, with the tenant sitting in there. But it's it's always worth worth really looking at this and understanding what you are buying because it is a huge amount of money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So any final thoughts? What do we need to cover? Anything we need to tell people? What am I missing? If anything. Uh no, I think go in prepared, go in really looking at that legal pack. If there are questions and there are holes, either be willing to take the risk and understand that there may be something unpleasant that we'll find out after the event, um, or be really strict and, and set you know your limits on your auction properties as to you're not prepared to buy a property unless certain boxes in terms of the information that's been provided have been ticked so i think you know with an auction it's a risk and and with any risk you've got to know what your limit is agreed agreed
we need to go into this eyes wide open not just absolutely hoping for the best <laughs> yeah i mean i've seen some very strange things bought and sold at auction which have surprised everybody um and people do get caught up in a bidding frenzy and it's very very easy to do that so absolutely know your limit stick with it and hopefully you'll pick up some some great bargains um and some really good properties at auction mm -hmm. i agree there are things out there you just have to sift through it and also be patient it may come back to auction we've i have seen really good deals come back to auction time and time again and the reason being is they just didn't do enough due diligence they were just out picking up anything that they could find and I think the final thing I'd probably say is it's always worth putting, if you really like property, if you really, really want it, it's worth putting in a pre-auction bid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see if you can secure it. Although, at the moment, auctioneers are going by, by the rule of thumb that it is guide price plus 10%. Yeah, at the moment, <laughs> the, world is not, the world is not normal when it it's comes not to, normal. to property. Um, and and who knows what the future will hold, whether this will become the new normal or whether it will revert back to a more recognisable pattern when it comes to auctions. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. I think no, nobody quite expected the last 12 months to be what they are. No, no. But it's still an interesting market. There's a lot out there. And as I, I, I think the key thing is to also be innovative with what you're buying now sneak in with something that people wouldn't usually pick up but you can do something with yeah and I, I think um you and I've always had a really 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 open relationship with this is what I want to do do you think it's worth doing it and find a solicitor that you trust and that you could just yes. say can this work this is what I'm thinking and have a good surveyor on board a good solicitor on board and good contacts with financing and you can then look at the slightly quirkier properties i think <laughs> if, I, if i put it that way true because you've told me in the past when i shouldn't be buying something when i should be so and what, what we can move forward with and what the realm of possibility is <laughs> absolutely um but just yeah go in wide eyes wide open and, and i'm sure there are there are so many properties available that just as you keep saying be patient be patient it will come especially because you choose a property and it's taking months to get it over the line right yeah it's a, it's a lengthy process it doesn't just happen like this i think one of the big things that the myths that are going around social media is that you find a property put an offer in everything happens you're completed you go oh, there is so much space when you're buying property space and time when you're not actually doing anything yeah and I think that the property market and the, and the way property transactions work in this country, property is complicated. You know, it's built up over you know, hundreds of years, this, this crazy system that we have. And it is really important that whatever you buy, you understand what it is that you're buying, because there are things that would affect a property that you just won't even think about until somebody points it out to you exactly and that's what my job is is to point these things out mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm. And if you don't good, have a good, solicitor, bad, and ugly. If you don't have a solicitor that's questioning you, <laughs> that's an issue. That is a big issue. You need to be able to have that conversation. You you really do. You know, it, it's not in my interest to, to um, tell somebody that a property's fine when it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. <laughs> so please find yourself in a sheeter, everybody. It's a it's a mandatory thing of listening to this podcast (laughs) if you do nothing else for yourself find a solicitor you can actually have a conversation with not just someone who is churning things out you need to they need to know what your goals are and to a certain extent what sort of person you are because absolutely you're if you're if you're building a property portfolio you're going to need your solicitor time and time again for all sorts of things for purchases for lease renewals for licenses for alterations when something goes wrong and it's really important that you can just pick up the phone and have that conversation with them and it's really important that whoever is your solicitor gets on with you and wants to do work with you yeah yeah part of this this thing that everybody the buzzword in property investment your power team will please make sure that everybody you employ you get off really important you know the people who bring you bring into your into your portfolio need to have as much time for your portfolio as you do yeah and should enjoy it <laughs> yeah enjoy it some people just think, oh it's fine i just bought another property i do think you need to have fun with it because it's never simple i've never come across anything in property that's 100 percent simple Sometimes things go easier than you thought that they would. And other times, you've got to have a sense of humour. You do. Things, you know, go up and down. And, and some of the some of the conversations I've had with clients that I've worked for for years, they just literally leave me crying with laughter at the end of it because I just am surprised, shocked, bewildered, overjoyed. <laughs> it, it really... <laughs> All myriad of emotions. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. On that note, thank you, Nishita. I oh, my really pleasure. appreciate it. Thank you to everybody for listening. If you have liked this podcast, make sure to subscribe so that you get it into whatever platform you listen on every single week. Um, I'm going to put a link to Nishita in the show notes below so that if you want to reach out you more than certainly can thank you for listening i cannot wait to catch up with you again soon bye